the book of Jude, Jude and verse number 21. So if you'll find your place in the book of Jude and verse 21, and how you'll find that is go all the way to the back of the Bible. Okay, that's the easiest way to get there. Go all the way to the back of the Bible. You'll find the book of Revelation and then take one step forward into the book of Jude. So Jude, and there's no chapters, there's just verses. So Jude and verse 21 for our time together tonight. And uh, while you're turning and finding your place, uh, let me thank you for your participation in all the events that happened over this weekend. And with appreciation for the past, I believe that the best days of Southwest Baptist Church are in the future. And uh, you have a fantastic pastor who ultimately, and most importantly, loves the Lord. He also loves his family, and then he also loves you. And that is evidenced in the way in which he leads you, the way in which he talks about you, and uh, talks about you corporately, but also individually. And uh, continue to just get behind whatever the Lord has put on his heart and mind. And I, I promise you the best days are ahead. So Jude, verse 21, some of you are already standing, so you're getting a jump start. The rest of us can stand with you, all right? Jude and verse 21. I thought about just making you stand the whole service. That's what I thought about doing, but I'll give in, all right? Jude and verse 21. We're going to read one verse, Jude and verse 21 is what we're going to read. And the Bible reads like this. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use your word in our lives. Father, strengthen us by your word. Equip us with your word. Help us with your word. Father, encourage us with your word. Father, we pray that you would. Father, receive the honor and the glory from all that's done and said. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. There is a lot made in our world today about the... The idea of falling in love. People, people talk about love like it's a ditch that you accidentally fall into. It's a, it's, a, it's a pit that you didn't see coming, but you tripped and you fell down into the bottom of it. People also talk about love like it's a virus that you can catch. You weren't even trying to get it, but you came in contact with the wrong person. And they sneezed on you, and you sneezed on them, and next thing you know, you were in love. There's a lot of conversation in our world about love. And, and when you fall in love with someone, there can be a, a lot of insecurities about that particular relationship, that relationship with that someone. You may, you may feel as if you love them, but you wonder if they love you. And so there can be these insecurities in the relationship that exist. And so what has to happen? You, you have to have a moment. If you're in a relationship like that, you have, to, you have to have a moment where someone finds enough courage to define the terms of the relationship. Where someone finds enough courage to step forward and step out and say, I love you. 
Now, for some, this may be easier than others, but if you're married, do you remember who the person was that said, I love you first in your relationship? Okay, don't point fingers. We don't want to cause any, any uh, fights in the church tonight. But, but just think about it for a second. I, I can remember the first time Amanda and I exchanged I love yous, or it really wasn't an exchange. But I, we, were, we were in 11th grade. We had been liking each other for, for, you know, about two or three years. We're coming back from a basketball game and our team had won. And so I thought, what a better time for me to tell her that I love her than after having a win in Christian school basketball, because that's romantic. And so we, we get back to the church property. In the middle of the property, there's a gazebo. We walk over, we're waiting for our rides to show up. And we're, sta we're standing in the gazebo, and I said, <clears throat> Amanda, there's, there's something I need to tell you. And she goes, what? And I said, well, what I need to tell you is... <clears throat> I love you. Now, I said that hoping that that sentiment was going to be reciprocated my direction. That I would say, Amanda, I love you. And she would go, oh, David, I have loved you too. That's, what I was, that's, that's how it played out in my mind. That is not how it played out in person. I said, Amanda... I love you. And she replied with screaming and then began crying and then ran to the girl's restroom. Now you could say at that moment I was very insecure in the relationship. Like, where, where do we go from here? Okay? Because that, that was not the response that I thought I was going to get. And so when you struggle in understanding the way in which someone feels toward you it can create inside of that relationship insecurities it can create inside of that relationship anxiety it can create worry it can create jealousy it can create all kinds of conflict because you are not sure the ground on which the relationship stands but this is the good news from the bible for you and me god has defined his relationship for us. In the word of God, he has told us exactly how he feels toward you. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to wonder tonight how God feels toward you. You don't have to wonder how God moves in your direction or if God is moving in your direction because God has clearly defined the terms of the way in which he feels toward us. And it sounds like this. Lamentations chapter 3, verse number 22. His compassion fails not. His mercy is new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. It sounds like this in Psalms chapter 86 that God feels toward you full of compassion and graciousness and long-suffering and is toward you plenteous in mercy. God has defined the relationship towards you like this in Romans chapter number 5, that God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That word commendeth is a beautiful word because the word literally means he put his love on display. 
He showcased his love. It's like when, uh, when the, the, the newly uh, engaged fiance gets that diamond ring on her finger. And what does she do for the next three weeks except walk around town flaunting her left hand everywhere she goes? She normally points with the right hand, but because there's a diamond ring on the left hand, now she's all of a sudden pointing with this hand. She's showcasing, that's what she's doing. She's showcasing her love to you. She's displaying. There's someone who has proven his love to me, and she's putting it on display. That's the same word that's used in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 8. He goes on to say, And what shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Tribulation, suffering, persecution, famine, distress. No, none of these things can separate us from the love that God has for us. And we could keep on going all night long with verses just like that, where God has told us in his word the way in which he feels toward you and toward me. God loves you. And you read all those verses about the love of God. There is no fine print. You read all those verses about the love of God. There's no performance language. You read all those verses about the love of God. There's no condition set on them. God's promised love for you and for me is not based on our performance. God's promised love for you and for me is based on his performance, not on ours. He loves you tonight. That is what you need to hear. And that is what you must know. God loves you. Jude goes on in this passage to end this letter, this very short letter. And he ends it by saying that the love of God has been extended toward you and to me. That we should keep ourselves in that love of God. Because God's love is now and forever. In other words, the love that God has for you is a love that is present with you right now. That's how he feels towards you right now. And that, that is how he will always feel towards you as you move forward in your life. It's the forever love of God. The forever love of God for you. Now, I cannot think of anything more freeing than to know that God has loved me with a forever kind of love. I cannot think of anything more liberating than to know that God has loved me with a forever kind of love. I can't think of anything more encouraging than to think that God has loved me with a now and forever kind of love. A now and forever kind of love. And what Jude is saying to Christians is that God has loved you now and forever. And if you've truly come to understand that love from God for you, to the depth or the degree that you understand that God has set his love on you in this way now and forever, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. It does not mean for me to keep God loving me because we've already pointed out that is not the case in the Bible. Jude is not saying, 
Keep God in love with you. No, no, no. God's love for you and for me doesn't move. It's unconditional. It isn't performance-based. It's now and it is forever. God cannot possibly love you more and God will not love you less. The love of God is steadfast for us in this way. However, what Jude is saying to these Christians is keep yourself in the love of God. The love that God has for you does not move, but there are often times in my life that my love for him moves. God loves me now and forever in the same way, but there are times in my life where my love for myself or my love for the things of this world or my love for pleasure or entertainment or earthly affections where my love for those things is greater than my love for God. This is not a conversation about how God loves you. This is a conversation of how you and I should reciprocate the love that we know God has for us. And there are dozens and dozens and dozens of, dozens of Christians that I know and that you know who hear the words from God, I love you. And they scream, plug their ears, and they run the other way. That is what Jude is talking about. Keep yourself in the love of God. Now, love in the Bible is portrayed in three ways. And this is just introduction. Then we're going to look at this verse. And we're just going to chop this verse right into three little sections. But before we do, I want to help you understand a biblical definition of love. And this is important because our world has such a cheap understanding of love. I love my wife, but I love tacos. We, we, we say, I, I, I love my kids, but I also love, well, for, for you in Texas, you probably love the Dallas Cowboys, okay? So I, 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 I love my family, but I also love the college I attend. So we, we use love in this cheap way, and we throw the word around so much that there's, there's such a... a lack of understanding of what the word love really means. So I, we, we got to do, do the hard work. I'm going to lay in this groundwork. And it's really understood in three terms. Love in the Bible. Write this down. Love in the Bible is three things. It is first, a choice that is made. It is second, a commitment that is kept. And it is third, it is a covenant that is lived in. Those are the three things that love is understood as in the Bible. Love is a choice that is made. Love is a commitment that is kept, and love is a covenant that is lived in. So God loves you. God has made a choice to set his love on you and me. The Bible says it like this way, 1 John, herein is love, not that we love God, but that God first loved us. So God saw us in our sinful, rebellious state and he made a choice. And the choice that he made was not to throw us off into oblivion, not to cast us off into hell, not to begin again because our, our, our first parents sinned. No, God instead made a choice to set his love on us. He loved us before. For the forming of the foundation of the world is what Paul says. God made a choice. So love is first and foremost a choice that is made. It's a choice that is made. 
Love is second, a commitment that is kept. It's a commitment that is kept. So what was lovely about us? Well, there was nothing lovely about us. The Bible is clear. We were sinners against God. We thought we knew better than God. We didn't, when we knew him as God, we didn't glorify him as God. We became vain in our imaginations and our foolish heart was darkened. And we turned everyone to our own gods and we turned away from him. There was nothing lovely about us. We like to think that we were lovely. Well, of course, God would love me. Look how awesome I am. But the reality is we were sinful men and women like every other sinful man or woman. And yet God made a commitment. The God made a commitment to set his love on you and me. So love is first a choice that is made. Love is second a commitment that is kept. And love is third a covenant that is lived in. God loved us. And commended this love to us in that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. And what does Jesus tell the disciples? Jesus tells the disciples, this is a new covenant in my blood which is being spoken for you. So this do in remembrance of me. Live in this new covenant. The covenant of what? The covenant that God kept his commitment to love us. The covenant that God keeps his choices. He made a choice to love us and he set that love on us through the form of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you got saved, it was because you came to understand God's love for you in that way. When you got saved, it's because you came to an understanding that you were a sinner away from God. And that while you were a sinner away from God, God loved you in spite of yourself and despite your sin. And God set that love on you through the form of his son, the Lord Jesus. And you responded by faith to that love. And you became a recipient of that love. And that love that you became a recipient of, Jude is telling you, and the writers of the New Testament and the writers of the Bible are telling us, you cannot walk away from that love it is a now and forever kind of love that's the love that God loves you and I with but now you've grown some time has gone by and you're starting to feel a little insecure in the relationship you know the the couples that I admire the most are are not the ones who fall in love the couples that I admire the most as I've grown in my life, are the couples who've managed to keep themselves in love. They made a choice. They kept a commitment. And they lived in a covenant. And this is what James is calling you and me to. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Let's look at it in three ways. Notice the word, the very first word of the text. You should circle it if you mark in your Bible. Circle the word keep. Keep yourselves in the love of God. So what we notice in this word keep is that love, the love that we have for God is first and foremost a pursuit. It's a pursuit of love. The word keep literally means keep on in. Abide in. Stay in love with the Lord. Stay in love with God. Don't leave off loving God. Keep on loving Him. There are millions of people in this world who have faith. 
There are millions of people in this world who have been brought up to believe that Jesus died, rose again and ascended, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. They've gone to church, but they have no living experience of God's love in their life. They know of the love of God. They perhaps even experience the love of God, but they have left off loving God. They have not kept themselves in pursuit of a loving God who has and does and will forever love them. It's it's it's, it's Jude's uh, prayer to these believers who may not always feel as if God loves them. To live in light of the reality of scripture which says that God loves us. It's possible to endure persecution and feel like God doesn't love you. It's possible to go through college and not feel the love of Christ. It's possible to come to worship and pews like are in this church and not feel like God loves you. And what Jude is saying is, I do not want you to live there. I do not want you to live in wonder and insecurity about the relationship that God has towards you and that you and I ought to have toward him. I want your soul to be filled with the love of God. So keep yourself in the love of God. If you've gone to a, a public place like, like Disneyland with your children or, or perhaps when you were a child, your parents took you there. We'd go to places like Disneyland or Disney World or we'd go see you know, Six Flags or we'd go to some big amusement park. And, and it was, was always clear. When we got into the park, my older brother wanted to go this way. My little brother wanted to go that way. My little sister wanted to go this way. My parents just wanted to go sit. And I wanted to go a totally different direction. And so there was a, there was a rule in our family. And, and the rule in our family was, man, I'm, I'm thankful that my parents were, were keeping a lookout for me. I, I was glad to know that if I wandered off too far, it was mom and dad's watchful eyes were always nearby and constantly aware. But the rule was not, hey, you make sure that I can see you. The rule was always this in our family. You make sure you always see me. That was how we grew up. Stay where you can see me. At the end of church as a kid, I remember this like it was yesterday. When church was over, there was so much sweet fellowship in the church this morning. Everybody hung out, talked in the lobby. It was amazing. My dad did none of that when church was over. When church was over, my dad was making for the back door as fast as he possibly could. He was trying to not make eye contact with anyone. Head down and he's just walking to the car. And this was the rule. If I get to the car and I sit down and you aren't there, I'm leaving you. So you better stay where you can see me. And I remember hoping, oh, I hope Mr. Johnson stops that at the back door so I can talk to my friend just a little bit longer. And I I hope Deacon Jones gets dad at the back door because that guy's a talker. He's got more stories than John Bunyan. I hope he gets him at the back door. Oh, please. But you know the rule? The rule was stay where you can see me. Keep your eyes on me. And wherever I'm going, you always go. You know what what Jude is saying to us as Christians? Keep your eyes on God. Stay where you can see him. Of course the watchful eyes of God are on us. He's our loving, perfectly, perfect heavenly father who's aware of all the directions and paths of our lives, of the circumstances we live in. But this is not his responsibility. This is a responsibility that Jude is putting on us as Christians. And he's saying, you keep your eyes on the love of God. Stay where you can see God. That's what he's saying. 
Just so you know, this pursuit of God, this pursuit of love is a, a pursuit that's ongoing. The illustration here is from, found in the, the book of Jeremiah. In the second chapter, God is speaking to the children of Israel through the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says, this is the word of the Lord that came unto me saying, go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem saying, thus saith the Lord, I remember thee and the kindness of thy youth and the love of thine espousals when thou wentest after me in the wilderness. You hear that statement? You hear what God said to Israel? When you went after me. Of course it was God that ran them down when they found themselves in slavery in Egypt. Of course it was God's watchful eye that provided manna for them as they would have starved in the wilderness. Of course it was God's provision in making sure their sandals and their wagons and their wheels lasted much longer than it should have. Of course God's eye was on them. But there was a time when their eyes were on him. And he says, I remember the time when you went after me. Oh, Israel returned to that pursuit. Keep yourselves, he's saying, keep on running after God. Keep on running after God. Stay in love with God. Keep on in the love of God. This is a pursuit that's ongoing, but this is also a pursuit that is obedience. Keeping ourselves in the love of God involves obedience according to his word. That's how Jesus defined it in John chapter number 14. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. So oftentimes in our world, love is portrayed as this emotion that we just are overcome with. Love is portrayed as this feeling that just jumps out and it surprises us. We didn't even expect it. But in the Bible, love is portrayed not as an emotion, not as a feeling, not as a ditch or a common cold. Love in the Bible is displayed through obedience. Love in the Bible is displayed through obedience. So a pursuit, keep yourself in. A pursuit of the love of God which does not move, which is for you now and forever, which abideth for all time. This pursuit of this love is a love, it's a pursuit that's ongoing. Keep going after him, keep going after him. And it's a pursuit in the way in which we pursue him is by obeying his word. It's a, so it's a pursuit. Notice the first word, keep. There's a second word here. Yourselves. Look at the word, yourselves. So not only is keeping ourselves in the love of God a pursuit, but secondly, there's a personal nature of love. Personal nature of keep yourself in the love of God. Which is telling us something about the way in which we experience the love of God. It's telling us this, that no one can take the love of God away from you. No one can take the love of God away from you. you you've heard people say this, and I've heard people say this too. Well, I would love God if it wasn't for her. I, I, I would love God if it wasn't for him. No, 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 no. Three, three's, a, three's a crowd here. This is a relationship between you and the Lord. This is a relationship between you and God. And God has defined his love for you. And what God is looking back, looking down to you and to me at is seeing the way in which we reciprocate that love to him. And oftentimes instead of saying, well, I love you and I'm keeping my eyes on you and I'm going after you. I'm in pursuit of you. What we want to do is we say, well, I, I, I would love you back, but 
she did this thing to me. I, I would love you back, but he did this thing to me. And it is not to downplay or minimize any of these hurts in our lives, but it is to help us understand that the relationship we have with God is by nature a personal relationship between you and God. And shame on any person who has stepped in between the relationship that you have with God and brought that relationship to a halt. But there is a coming back to this basic principle that we must understand that our relationship with the Lord is between us and the Lord. It's between me and Jesus. That's who this is between. It's a personal nature. In this personal nature, then notice, keep yourselves how do I keep myself in love with the Lord? How do I grow in this personal relationship that I have with him? Here's one way. Gaze into the love of God. Gaze into the love of God. The hymn writer Isaac Watts, he said the, the same thing. He used different words, but he said it like this. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. You know, you know, you know what Isaac Watts is saying? He's saying exactly what Jude is saying. He's saying, I've got my eyes on this great love that God has for me. And when I get my eyes on him, when I gaze at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, I can't help but grow in the love that I have for him in return. You ever, you ever notice how when people are in love with each other, they stare into each other's eyes. Was a, when I was in Bible college, there was a, a little cafe where all the dating couples would hang out. They sit in this cafe with these little tiny tables, tables that were way too tiny for a Bible college, just so you know. They'd sit at these little tiny tables and they'd share a milkshake or they'd share a drink and they would just do this. They would stare. It was disgusting. I'm just going to be honest with you. I just wanted to walk up behind both of them and just go, bam, like just smash their foreheads together. That's what I wanted to do. So many times in my own mind, I did that to so many people. Just bam, just bash their heads together. They would just stare. Uh, and I always wonder, like, what? You can't possibly look in someone's eyes that long without it being awkward, okay? You, you keep eye contact with someone for that long, and they're feeling weird, and you're feeling weird, okay? Just stop it. It's disgusting. They just gaze. You ever notice that? When somebody gets in love, they just gaze. They just stare at each other. It's sickening. All the children in the room listen. It's sickening. It's disgusting. Never do that kind of stuff. You, you, ever, you ever notice when, uh, when somebody's mad at somebody, they don't look at each other? All the husbands in the room said, amen. And amen. Feel that quite often, actually. You ever notice? You're mad at somebody else in church. You see her coming this way down the hallway. You're going that way down the hallway and you just. You ever notice that? You have a hard time looking at people like that. Right? There's, there's, there's something in the relationship. There's a, there's a wall in the relationship. I can't look at them without feeling some kind of angst or stress or worry or frustration toward that person. So I don't even want to look at them. And keep yourselves in the love of God means gaze on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Find yourself looking often to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and find yourself not looking away. Gaze into the love of God that's seen in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. But also, secondly, on this point, 
Grow in the love of God. Grow in the love of God. My wife, Amanda, and I, we'll, we, will, uh, we will be married for... Um, We'll be married for 24 years this June. 24 years this June. I desperately love my wife. So if, if your job was to, was to interview me, and, and your responsibility in the interview was to determine if I really loved Amanda, what kind of questions would you ask? Anybody got a question? What kind of question would you ask? You say, okay, Dave, you say you love Amanda, but we really want to know for certain if you love Amanda. Anybody got a question? What question would you ask? Who said it? Where is it at? Would you die for her? We got serious right off the bat. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, no. That's tough. Would you die for it? What, what, what's another question? If, if your job was to interview me and find out if I really love Amanda, okay, would you die for her? What else? What do you got? What do you got? Oh, yeah. Would I do what? Would I eat a flower for her? I don't know about that. guess it depends on the flower. Okay. Tough one. That's a, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. Yes, sir. How much time do you spend with her? That's a good one. Not enough this weekend, unfortunately. I'm in trouble for it. Okay. What else? Yeah. Ooh, would I follow her anywhere? That's a good one. I'm not following her. She's supposed to follow me, right? Okay. What else? What else? What do you got? Would I stare at her for ten minutes? That's the one thing you heard, Jackson? Just 10 minutes? Like precisely 10 minutes? Okay. What? What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? Would I fight an alligator for her? Oh my word. Sheesh. An alligator. I, I think definitely no. I'll take the flower, but I'm, I'm the alligator, I'm out. Okay. What do you got? Ooh, would you love her if she changed? So watch. You love God? Would you follow him anywhere? Would you fight an alligator for him? Would you spend time with him? Would you die for him? You see... We like to think of our love relationship with God as just this abstract, hypothetical thing. Oh, of course I love God. I go to church, so check. <laughs> and yet in reality, that's not a check that would pass anyone's test for determining whether or not the love that you profess is real. If I said to you, I, I really love Amanda, I love her green eyes, I, I love her six foot three inch frame, I love her dark black hair, you'd start to go, uh, your wife doesn't have any of those features. 
She's five foot three, she has blonde hair, and she has brown eyes. So who are you talking about? And yet so many Christians, when it comes to their relationship with God, approach God in this same way. You see, keep yourself in the love of God. Keep, that's the pursuit that we're supposed to have in this life. It's a pursuit done by obedience. Yourself, this is an ongoing personal relationship with God where we are learning him, we are following him, we are spending time with him, we got our gaze on him. And third, in the love of God. So it's a pursuit, it's personal, and here's the last one. The position of this love. The position of this love. I'm going to ask you to do something really hard. Think all the way back to ninth grade English and grammar class. In that class, you learned a thing that was called prepositions. Yeah. Ah. Got a cold chill just thinking about it. Prepositions. Prepositions show position. I could sing a song about prepositions. I'll spare you. I won't sing it. I'll spare you because A, I can't sing, and B, it's an incredibly boring song because it's about prepositions, okay? So prepositions show position, literally telling you where the thing is. Here's the preposition in the verse, in the love of God, in the love of God. So keep yourself, it's a pursuit, it's personal, yourself. Here's the position, inside of the love of God, a love that God has for you and a love that God has for me, which is a now and forever kind of love. Literally, what Jude is saying is keep yourself in the sphere of the love of God. He's saying breathe the atmosphere of the love of God in your life. That's what he's telling you. You know, if, uh, if you go outside and the sun is shining... You walk outside in the sun because you're cold inside. You're, so it's a, it's a cold day inside. You want to walk outside and enjoy the sunlight. You walk out into the sun and you stand there for a second and you feel the warmth of the sun's rays on your hands or your arms or your face. And you stand there and you go, ah, the sun. Ah, oh, it feels so good. The sun's warm. You know what you're doing? You're in the sun. You're, you're keeping yourself in the sun. But did you, did you know it's possible to go outside in the sun but not enjoy the rays of the sun? It, it's possible to go outside in the sun, but not experience the warmth that the sun gives? You know, it's, it's possible to go out in the sun, but not, but not have the, 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 the experience, the enjoyment that the sun and the rays of the sun bring to you and me. You step outside, sure, you're in the sun, you're outside, but you are, you're not enjoying the sunshine. You know one way we do that? You walk outside. You've seen people like this, I'm sure. I see people like this in SoCal all the time. You walk outside, and they open up an umbrella. And they walk outside under an umbrella. They're outside in the sun, but they're under an umbrella. Did you know in our Christian life, we can be in the love of God, but not enjoying the warmth, the experience, the benefit that the love of God brings to you and me? We can walk outside into the love of God and we can open up an umbrella and we can stand grumpily under our umbrella refusing to enjoy the experience that the love of God brings to us as Christians. 
I know way too many Christians who are carrying around umbrellas. They, they, they know all about the love of God. They're outside in the love of God. They believe in Jesus. But they found themselves resentful in the shade. You know, the Bible says that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, but there are a lot of things that can put us in the shade. There's lots of things that can hinder and halt the work of God in our lives. Here's one of them, unconfessed sin. You know, the Bible says that if you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear you. So, so if you regard, that, that word regard literally means if you hold on to, if you cling on to your sin, it will bring your spiritual life to a halt. You'll be outside in the sun, yeah. But you're under the umbrella of unconfessed sin. You're not enjoying the experience of the sunlight in the way in which it can be good for you. We all sin, that's true. We all sin more than we think we sin. That is also true. But the difference between a Christian who sins and a Christian who sins willfully and habitually without remorse is that the Christian who is sinning habitually and willfully without remorse has no plans to stop, finds themselves in the shade of the love of God. Here's another one, ignoring the word of God. Proverbs 28, he that turneth away his ear from the hearing of the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. So you know what God's word says, you're just refusing to do it. You know God's word says you should treat it this way, you should respond this way, you should use your body, yourself, your thoughts, your entertainment, your action, your free time in these ways, but you just refuse to do. A self-righteous spirit, according to Romans chapter 7, puts us in the shade, taking pride in my own accomplishments, my own abilities, A spirit of comparison in our hearts, highlighting our strengths while we criticize another person's weakness. That's that's literally ungodly. The Pharisees made a career out of this. That's how they lived, always comparing themselves to everyone around them so they felt a little bit better about who they were or really who they weren't. You know, avoiding God's people. 1 John chapter 4, beloved, if God so loved us, then we ought also to love one another So many Christians are out in the sun, but they're under an umbrella, which is keeping themselves from experiencing the love that God is pouring down on them daily. I don't don't know if you saw this, but on the the news a a little while ago, there was was a, a group of activists with a with a group that was called Just Stop Oil. They walked into the National Gallery in London with a can of tomato soup. They walked up to Van Gogh's 1888 masterpiece painting called Sunflowers. They opened up that can of tomato soup and they threw it onto the painting that was there on the wall. A painting that is valued at $83 million. They then took out some glue squirted onto their hands and glued themselves to the wall. I saw that video, this rage came up in me about how can these crazy people destroy such a priceless painting like that Van Gogh painting. 
And later that week, the National Gallery in London issued a statement. The statement said that there were some minor damages that were done to the frame, but that the painting itself was unharmed. It turns out that they prepare precisely for this kind of thing. That painting has over it a fine layer of protective glass. It's imperceptible to the human eye. Their little can of tomato soup couldn't hurt it. And the Bible says that you and I have an enemy in this life. It's the world, the flesh, the devil. They throw their accusations against us. And sin may splatter across the frame of our lives. But the substitutionary work of Christ, the love of God as seen in Jesus Christ, is greater than anything sin can do to you or me. No condemnation can stick because God's love is so great. God cannot possibly love you more. He will not love you less. And to the degree that you believe that, you will keep yourself in the love of God. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your love.